Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to another exciting episode of Radio Free HPC. Dan is flying back from Australia and is in a plane or at an airport, so it's me and Henry again. How are things, Henry? I'm well, thank you. Looking forward to the show, Shaheen. I know. We have a very special episode today focused entirely on a benchmark, since that kind of specifies the species nature of our species. So benchmarking is obviously an art and a science. Henry, you've done your share of benchmarks. Some people kind of remember me doing them. It's been quite a while, luckily. Benchmarking's for young people. Is that right? <laughs> so the benchmarking question is IO500. Easy to spell. IO500. We've covered it before, right after SC18 last, when John was on the show. And we wanted to get a head start for SC19. And we're fortunate to have most of the IO500 committee with us in our virtual studio. It's a fantastic team, deep expertise in the area. We're lucky to have them. Welcome to the show. I'll let you just introduce yourselves and then we'll do some quality Q&A. Okay, thank you for having us. Um, my name is George Marco Manolis. I'm HPC engineer at Oak Ridge National Laboratory, supporting Summit Supercomputer. And some of the topics that I work are I.O. from application perspective, tuning parallel I.O., data transfer like global tools, and performance analysis, including the classic data profiling tool. Overall, I'm interested in how the applications interact with the hardware, thus the storage aspect comes in, and investigating various programming models, task-based, etc. And I was in the team who tuned I.O. 500 for Summit and did the submission last November that we were number one. Yay, nice job there. Thank you. Also, Jay Lofsted is not here. He can't be with us today. Uh, he's also a member of the committee. He's a principal member of technical staff at Sandia National Laboratories. Since 2010, Jay has been working on HPC simulation workflows, focusing on data management issues, and as well as general I.O. and storage issues for HPC. Perfect. This is John Bent. Hey, everybody. Thank you, Shaheen, for having me on again. Really excited to be here and be able to bring the full committee. I'm working as a technologist at Seagate. I've been doing research in distributed storage for over two decades. I became interested first in IO500 a long time ago when I was installing Panassas file system on the Roadrunner machine at Los Alamos back in the day. Oh, yeah. And I really grew frustrated at the lack of attention that I felt was paid to really challenging and typical I.O. problems in high-performance computing and the vendors and those benchmarkers out there that were really doing a lot of research into I.O. and HPC were ignoring some of the patterns mm. that were really paramount that were challenging on the Roadrunner machine. Excellent. I'm Julian Konkel. I'm a lecturer at the Department of Computer Science at the University of Reading in the U.K. So it's Reading which some people told me as funnily, so finally you can read. <laughs> it's not quite true. Yeah, I think other people can read as well. So I'm involved there in teaching and research. So I have a split post and I've been working before for 10 years in the German Climate Computing Center where we addressed storage and I.O. issues. And they had back then already a 50 petabyte storage system, a lustre system, which was really challenging. I'm involved in quite some research projects, and I just want to mention one, which is Easy Waste, which is the Center of Excellence in Climate and Weather, which is an EU project. So this is kind of the direction that I work. I'm trying to serve the climate and weather domain 
which is really very data intensive. Perfect. So new benchmark, it's gaining some traction. Lots and lots of questions. Henry, why don't you start us with a good quality one? So the first question I have is kind of what prompted everyone to do this? What, what's the, the ba some background of what the motivations were for the IL-500? I think the listeners would be interested in that. There are quite a lot of 500 benchmarks in the area of HPC. Top 500, Graph 500, Green 500. And all of them, they really look at the compute aspects of it. However, as we are all storage people here in, from our side, we figured that storage, it is so essential for the HPC systems, for all the workloads. And it's a bottleneck for many workloads, like I mentioned, for climate and weather. And these were not represented at all in these 500 benchmarks. So we tried to change that. And that was kind of the idea to do an IO500. A key problem that we faced and that other approaches before us kind of faced is that storage systems are really complicated. They depend on compute, but also on the network, also on the storage file systems on their side. So it's pretty much including everything the other benchmarks measure, because they often have like network issues as well. But even more, we have the storage issue. And storage is particularly difficult to compare. And even nowadays, we figured that it becomes more and more heterogeneous. In the past, it was you had disk and tape, so you could have more easy going. But with these rapid changes, we thought it's really time to do an IO500 benchmark to make sure that this challenging landscape can be reflected. So our goal was to be able to understand and compare the different storage systems. And we looked at two perspectives. As a user, you often struggle to know what is the performance I will get when I run a certain type of application in terms of I.O. So what will happen here? How well will the application run? And from the data center perspective, what performance can we expect when we buy a new system? It's really tricky because of storage had so many different benchmarks and there was no true standard because you had to benchmark many different types of workloads. So we wanted really to have this standardized benchmark configuration that allows us to compare across storage and compute infrastructure and so on that could be used. Finally, we thought it's really great to document the evolution of storage over time. So if you had a system and it had this kind of performance behavior, how does this change over time? We have no clue how it changes because of this complexity of the landscape. We wanted to identify trends, understand them, communicate them with the users, data centers, but also vendors. We also tried to link this activity with the Virtual Institute for I.O., which is an open platform which offers a, a database with system descriptions that you can use and then analyze and understand what systems are out there. Let me just say, with regards to the history, there was quite some effort uh, until we finally converged to have the first IO500 list at Supercomputing 2017. We really involved the community a lot. Without the community, it wouldn't have been possible, so we're really grateful. We just tried to steer, as, as the board, uh, this activity. And in 2017, we had nine entries, <clears throat> and the activity really grew exponentially. Today, we have 100 entries. All right. I think this shows the huge interest in this area. Wow, that is impressive. 101 entries from nine just two years ago. That's great. So is 101 what we should expect for SC19, Julian? Oh, uh, we would expect 
hopefully that it doubles again. That would be great. I mean, at some point we got every system on there, then we cannot grow further. Right. But I don't see that we've reached that saturation point yet. There is still quite some room. Very good. I'll have a question. John, maybe you can answer this one. As I like to say, benchmarks are like radioactive material and it takes like 18 months before people can game them and have compiler options and all sorts of things that are not realistic. So how realistic is IO500? And how is the benchmark organized so that it remains meaningful? I love that question. That really is the big challenge. And as Julian said, it took a long time to create this community and get acceptance and be able to move forward. Been ever since the Roadrunner days at Los Alamos, where I've been thinking about, and a lot of us have been thinking about, we need something like this. We came together as a committee and we said, we want to do this, but we said, we can't do it until we have the community behind us. We didn't make 100% of the people happy, but we made everybody pretty happy, right? Mm. The struggle was trying to find something that was realistic like you say. And probably the biggest feedback that we heard was, this is quixotic, don't even bother, it's a bad idea, there's no way to create a representative IO benchmark. So we thought about that, we took that to heart. Valid points, yeah. It's a great point. What is a valid IO benchmark? There's all sorts of different IO benchmarks. We do storage, we know that there's latency, there's IOPS, there's bandwidth, there's random, there's sequential, there's reads, there's writes, there's all of these things. So what is a representative benchmark? And we finally realized that you can't solve that game. And so that's the wrong question. The question is not how to create a representative benchmark, but the question is how to create a benchmark that encompasses all possible representative workloads. And so that's what we did. Instead of trying to create one benchmark, what we do is we have a whole bunch of micro benchmarks inside IO500 that essentially take the fingerprint of a storage system and that they're designed to allow users to find the best case and then are also simultaneously forcing users to do the worst case. Because this was a frustration that we had that you only get these best case numbers. So we get the best case and the worst case for both bandwidth as well as for metadata operations. And what we think that that does is it creates sort of a bounding box of expectations. And we do it for the produce phase and the consume phase for all of those four things, the easy hard bandwidth, the easy hard metadata. And then somebody in the community said, hey, you know, that's really good. But the other thing that's super important is being able to search through the namespace. Admins do this all the time, for example. Files that are older than six months and owned by Shahid because he's always hogging the storage, right? That's added in there as well. And then we take the... Julian, I don't remember. Is it the harmonic mean or the geometric mean? Oh, geometric. We do the geometric mean, yeah. So, so we take all of those numbers, we compress them with the geometric mean, we get a score. Right on. So I got a question. Given variety of architectures, you know, you have caching layers with NVMe, you have just NVMe layers, you have all kinds of things. How is the community involved in the roadmap planning for IO500? We've got two communities. We've got our big open community. It's a mailing list. It's a Slack channel that Julian set up that are very active. But we also have a separate mailing list, which is just the vendors. So when we have important decisions, we like to run those by the vendors first, just to make sure that we're not doing anything that's going to unfairly penalize somebody. If somebody's making extensive use of caching at the NVMe layer, do the other vendors think that's fair? So we give them early access to our rules changes. And then we also talk to the community and we've defined a pretty well structured process by which any community member can propose changes. So they 
go and they create a little page saying, I think that the IO 500 can be improved in such and such a way. The committee discusses, we'll discuss at the BOF if we think that it makes sense. The process is that to those nine micro benchmarks, we'll add new micro benchmarks if users think that those are important, or we'll make tweaks to the existing micro benchmarks. And initially, we won't factor those into the geometric mean for the final score, those optional new tests. And then after a couple of years, if we think, hey, this makes sense, then we'll include them in the official score. Why should someone send a submission to IO500? And who's qualified to submit? What does the run and submission process look like? How much of an investment is it required? That sort of a thing. George, maybe you want to take this one. Thank you for the question. So I will start with the most simple answer. Everybody qualifies for a submission, but there are some restrictions. For example, for the main submission and the 10-0 challenge, we demand that the red phases take 300 seconds. So this means that you have enough storage to write the data. So someone with really small file system uh, maybe cannot submit at least in the main and the 10 node challenge. Although this year we'll have in the supercomputing and uh, the student classic competition, R500 will be included for extra points where we change the rules of the benchmark uh, for 30 seconds right phases in order to have the opportunity the students to submit results in a new sublist of IO500. Now, the Y has many aspects. We can learn more about our file system. Uh, for example, how my application performs, uh, if it's metadata intensive, or if it demands a lot of bandwidth. As you know already, we found the worst and the best performance for various workloads and understand better what is happening to file system. Uh, also, some HPC centers uh, with a small number of applications can extract the pattern uh, through some profiling, and they can go to web pages and sort, okay, my application is metadata intensive. I can sort my scores uh, from the other file systems according to metadata and see which one is the number one file system according to metadata, for example. Mm -hmm. And of course, comparison with other file systems. I want to compare my file system, how it performs with other ones. If you see our list, we have a lot of uh, file systems, Lustre, Spectrum, IME, Create Data Warp, etc. But also all of this works as a research tool. We want to have a list that even someone who didn't submit can take it and analyze the results and do some comparisons or investigate compared to my own file system that I never submitted on IO500, how it compares. Mm. It also works as an advertisement for people who want to procure a file system to see what's happening and also be used for the procurement, right? I mean, uh, some small species centers say, okay, I run IOR, the, the best case, and some of the results, but the real applications can almost never achieve this uh, performance. Yes. And also, personally, I, ha I have used it also for IO regression with the point that um, uh, a firmware change, a software change, and I cannot achieve my bandwidth or metadata tests. And I would like to run it more often to keep track what happens to the system and be able to find to indicate, oh, this changed firmware or, or, or software, we have to revert back because something is worse now. Um, how to execute is quite uh, simple. Um, you clone the repository and there is a script that compiles IOR, MD tests and the parallel find. So the, the preparation to have the binaries is really, really easy. Now the tuning becomes more and more easy according to the time or when we're beginning when we started all this effort, maybe the tuning was not so efficient. 
you have to understand how much uh, how much data have to write to so the write phases last for 300 seconds. Uh, so this tuning is totally different on the number of the compute nodes that you use, the number of MPI processes, the file system, etc. And now with the new soft, uh, version that's coming out, we define a high workload that for sure the write phases are 300 seconds at least, but we have the Stonewall functionality that will stop the execution after 300 seconds. Although, of course, there is variability in the, on the, uh -huh. the file system, so it can last more than 300 seconds, depending how, if it's a shared file system, how many people are active that moment, and etc. It's a classic problem that we have on the, on the storage. Um, we try to keep the duration of the benchmark short, so we don't want to add an unlimited number of benchmarks because we don't want to run for days. Now we want to keep it like maximum two hours. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not a lean pack that you can run for one day and not finish the results because we want to, people to be able to submit, to be easy and not spending a lot of computing uh, hours from, uh, from their systems. And then a user has to define his file system uh, in some, um, we have a new web page that you can define uh, what type of metadata server you have, data storage, what hard disk, NVMe, or whatever you have. Mm -hmm. And you will take this information, you know, to have some uh, data for analysis and also when, at, at the both that uh, supercomputing this year will present again uh, uh, results depending on the file system, what's the performance and all of this information. Perfect. That's just mainly. You guys have put a lot of thought into this, and I applaud you for that. And I also like it that you get submissions from user sites, not just vendors, and they can represent their particular configuration. And that, I think, is very interesting, too. So along those lines, and maybe Julian will come back to you for this question, who are in the top five spots right now? Let's just take top five, because I'm sure we can go on for a long time now that you've got 100 going to 200 entries. Right. Let me first clarify that we, in fact, we have different lists. So the list that you and we, we talked about most, that is the IO500 ranked list. That is the best result from each institution for each different type of file system that you may have. Okay, so an institution can have multiple submissions to it with different file systems, for instance, right? Then we have also the 10 node challenge. That means you, you have to use exactly 10 nodes. Mm -hmm. This is useful for to encourage research clusters, small clusters, and actually it's a different type of workload, a small workload. And we have finally the full list where we conserve all the results, which is really useful for the analysis. And this one was the one with 101 entries at the moment. So people can have multiple submissions with different numbers of nodes and combinations and such. Mm -hmm. Okay, so at the top five from the IO500 ranked list, at the moment we have the University of Cambridge that did a fantastic job to optimize their luster system. And then with half the score, we have Oak Ridge a National Laboratory. And then we have JCHPC, we have KISTI from Korea, and we have C0. What we see on these five results, which I find particularly interesting, is a diversity of results. We see four different file systems and four different storage vendors represented in these five numbers already, which is a huge success showing that nobody is unfairly penalized. Mm -hmm. However, what we also see is it got a bit focused on NVMe. We have only one in the top spots that uses that. But Interesting. That's how it goes. Perfect. Now, I got a question, John. You know me as a history of slimy benchmarking back in my misspent youth when I was a benchmarker. 
aren't you worried about people gaming the system? I mean, there's all kinds of things that people have done historically. What do you do to prevent that? So, you know, we're not really worried about that. And time will tell. It may prove out that we're being naive here, but we're of the opinion that IO500 can't be gained that any changes that anyone makes to a storage system to get a better score on the IO500 are changes that have made their storage system better. Now, it can be cheated. George explained what those rules were. And so we have to be vigilant against that because the community is pretty honest, but you know, some of those vendors are self-interested in getting good scores. We definitely have to be vigilant to that. But in terms of gaming, we're all really looking forward actually to there being times in our future where people look at the, the list and say, I think that they gamed, because that's going to be a great discussion to have at the BOTH. We really attempt to capture all of the configuration that users do to get any particular score. So any accusations of gaming are going to lead to discussions where people are going to see, how do you configure your system to get a better score? And if you've configured your system to get a better score, we think that means that you've configured your system to be a better storage system. Not a better benchmarker. <laughs> Nice job, everybody. Before we conclude, maybe, George, you can take this. Where can people go to get more info and maybe want to say a little bit about the BOF2 at SC19 for folks who want to participate? Yes, if you go to the r500.org, you will be directed to the website where you can find the instructions for how to install the IO500 benchmark, the submission rules, depending on if you submit in the main list or for the student cluster competition. And the both, we don't have yet the date. It was accepted today. So what we're expecting for the date will be announcing the link for the Supercomputer 2019 both that expects the new list, the new also list of the student cluster competition and their scores. As the systems are really small, you have changed the rules to be able to run on the small storage because storage is important. So it needs to be part of this competition. Very well, George. So people can go to io500.org and they'll get redirected to vi4io.org that has all that information in there. Yes, sounds correct. Perfect. Well, thank you for helping organize this in different time zones and different locations and show that as supercomputing people, we can handle technology like this. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, maybe we start with Henry's security corner. All right, we're back from a quick break, and the sound you hear in the background. is the sound that points to Henry's feel-good security corner. Henry, what is out there that can make us feel good about security? Oh, something on crabs and security. And I think the real issue on this one, it was a whole bunch of dental offices being hacked. Dental offices are small often, and dental practices using this vendor for backup, and they were hacked with ransomware, the backup program. I guess the concern I have is this is healthcare records, folks. Mm. And healthcare practices, obviously, they're growing just because of volumetric issues, but dentist offices are often small. This is, was a real one that concerned me a great deal because, yeah, it's only dental records. It's your teeth. It's x-rays. It's things like that. But it has all your insurance information. Oh, yeah. So all your detailed insurance information is there. And we're giving that to a hacker who now has access to all your insurance numbers and things like that. It could become a cascading effect here. It's really scary, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And of course, it also depends on the qualification of the bad guys. 
right? I mean, imagine if this is a nation state. Imagine if this is somebody with some serious resources behind it. And you don't think it is? <laughs> Why do you think I'm raising it? Because these days you can't tell, right? Yeah. Very good. And now that we are all happy and uplifted with that bit of sweet news. That is our catch of the week. Maybe I'll go first, Henry. My catch this week is that in Ukraine, employees had connected a nuclear plant to the internet so they can mine cryptocurrencies. Now, you know, I'm a, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. You know, I'm a big advocate of cryptocurrencies, but a big deal in cryptocurrencies is the electricity required to actually mine these coins. And it's a pretty computationally intensive task. It's one of the big things against cryptocurrency is that it takes so much energy to mine it and to keep it all straight. Of course, the counter argument is that it's cheaper than banking, etc, etc. But this one is really going to the source. You know, if you're looking for electricity, where would you go? You'd go to a nuclear power plant. Why not? Right? So basically, the security services had been alerted to this somehow. People really don't know how they got alerted to it, but they found a bunch of computers in the administrative offices. So they did assure us that this was not on the nuclear power plant itself. It was in the administrative offices. But one way or another, they were getting free electricity. Yeah, and there's no connections in the background, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were trying to say there is some distance between the two. However, once you're on the network, all sorts of bad things can happen, for sure. Yeah, that's a bad one. And what do you have as a catch? They have a catch. It's not a security catch. It's kind of disconcerting. I saw it on the register about American ISP was fined $75,000 for fuzzing weather radar used by airports oy, oy. in Puerto Rico. And some of the radars were airports. So it's basically going off the wrong spectrum and messing up radars. And how do you stop this kind of stuff? And how do you find out? You have to locate it. And in the meantime, given that it's Doppler radar and you have lots of issues with downdrafts and updrafts and other things, this is a big deal. Do you know if FCC is on it and they're monitoring and enforcing and watching because they are supposed to be the watchdog? Are they a dog that's watching? Looking at this, it seems like it's a new problem. And it only happened because the airport was reporting, and go, something's going wrong, and then they got the FCC involved. That's amazing. Yeah. So I think they're monitoring only after they were requested to monitor. Well, you know, between your happy corner and our catches, none of them were really all that uplifting. So maybe on that down note, we will conclude this episode. Thanks, Shaheen. All right. We'll have Dan next time as well. Thanks for listening, and look forward to seeing you out there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening. <laughs>